We've been going through a series called Parables of the Kingdom, where we look at all those parables that Jesus shared that made so much sense to everybody, never confused or perplexed or frustrated anyone. That, um, Yeah, we've been, we've been putting ourselves in front of those parables and letting ourselves be really frustrated and provoked by Jesus, and it's been fun. Last week, we talked about my favorite one. Anybody have a favorite parable? One that's just like, that always kind of encourages you or that your mind goes to? So my favorite parable, if you weren't here last week, I, I encourage you at your own risk to look at this one. It's Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, 10, somewhere in there. People don't really know where it ends. Luke chapter 16, it's the one about the steward that gets fired and he goes and changes all the accounts. It's not up online yet. Brett's working on it. Right, Brett? The recording? Yeah. The recording will be up soon. Um, But go read it for yourself before you listen to the recording. But it's the parable of the steward that goes and he, he basically cheats somebody out of a lot of money and the master comes along and says, high five, good job. That was very wise of you, very shrewd of you. And Jesus says, you should be shrewd like these people. And then we don't know what to do with that. So, we did a little message on that and landed with this quote, that grace is the imperative to hear the music, not just listen for errors. And grace makes all infirmities occasions for glory. So that was last week. And now this week, I've managed to do what I seem to do often, which is get myself in way over my head with a parable that I think is going to be easy and fun and straightforward, and then I realize after about five minutes, what was I thinking? But it's too late to backtrack and and, uh, get out from under it. So I thought, you know what would be fun is to talk about the parable of the sower. One of the reasons I thought that'd be fun is because the interpretation of the parable is actually right there in Scripture. It's one of two that has the interpretation there for us, except that most scholars believe that we have no idea what it really originally meant. So, I'll say this. I'm going to try to talk about the parable of the sower. I'm probably not going to do it well. And we're going to try not to muddy the waters too much. I'll throw out a few ideas. I'm going to land with something that I think is the most exciting to me about it, but then we're going to have time to connect with one another and say, all right, Holy Spirit, what are you doing with the kingdom seeds you've planted in us, and how are we doing in participating with that process? That's where we're going this morning. So, Parable of the Sower, are you familiar with it? Anybody? Kind of. Too familiar, maybe? It's in Matthew 13. And we're going to just blast through, for the sake of time, we're going to blast through what Matthew has to say about it. We're going to look at Matthew's version. So, that day, Jesus went out of the house. That day is referring to the day that Jesus is basically getting tons of pushback and rejection from his family after stepping into ministry and revealing himself and doing all these miracles. And people aren't liking it like they thought they would. So tons of pushback, resistance, and says, that day he went out of the house and sat down beside the lake. 
such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat to get away. And he sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen! A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Anybody heard a message on this before? Okay, so I won't waste your time. Let's get back into groups of two and three. Not yet. So the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? This is making us crazy. He answered, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That sounds like the character of a good, good father, doesn't it? You're supposed to say no. That was a trick question. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, this is a fun one, you will indeed listen but never understand and you will indeed look but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Those are some heavy lines there. How many of you have ever come across that and not really known what to do with it in light of a Bible that says that God is good and for humans to know God's goodness and to know the Father's heart? Why on earth would a good, good father reveal things so that people, or conceal things so that people would not turn and be healed? Anybody ever wondered about that? I think one of the biggest problems in the way we understand Scripture, the way we come at Scripture, is that we often confuse the prescriptive with the descriptive. And what I want to propose with this is that Jesus is not saying something prescriptive. I do not want them to understand because I do not want to heal them. And Jesus is saying something descriptive. They won't open their ears and see the way I want them to see. And unfortunately for them, they will not turn their hearts to me and be healed. And there's a grief underlying the voice of Jesus, not an anger or a... I guess even command or imperative. Does that make sense? And so Jesus isn't saying this is how I want it to be. He's saying this is how it is. Same thing when Jesus says it's, it's harder for a rich person to go through, or a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich person into the kingdom. Jesus isn't saying I intentionally make it hard for wealthy people to go into the kingdom. 
Jesus loved a lot of wealthy people and invited them to participate in the kingdom. And like one in particular, a rich young ruler, they said, sorry, these things are too important to me. Jesus is saying, it's so unfortunate that these people get tripped up by these things that take their energy, their focus, their desire away from the things that matter for an everlasting existence. I think it's the same thing going on here. What do you guys think? Of course you can. Mike, will you a little bit louder because I don't think Franny can hear you. And she needs to hear this, maybe, exactly. I told Mike to speak louder so you could hear. That's a great parable upon a parable. <laughs> there. That's a great picture. And that's what I think Jesus is explaining. He's saying, I'm inviting all these people into this new way of living, this kingdom dynamic that's here finally, and yet they're so stuck in their ways of seeing that they can't see the thing that I want them to see. And that breaks my heart. And so, on the flip side, for the little leaf that is swirling inside the whirlwind. He says, but, disciples, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, by the way, one interpretation of the parable of the sower Is that it? One interpretation is that those that sowed at the beginning, the first three, the path, the rocky ground, and the, what is it, the thorns, that those are talking about the prophets, that this is the story of Israel being told in parable form, and that those represent the prophets and their almost futile, not futile, but less effective, ways of sowing the kingdom and bringing God's dreams to reality. And then the last one that falls on good soil is Jesus' ministry that ultimately brings to fruition the kingdom. That's one interpretation of what's going on here. And historically you could see that if you connect it to Daniel 2 and, and different places like that. But I want to go a different direction with it. So this is Jesus' interpretation. 
at least Matthew's. Am I on the right one? That looks right, right? Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. So the sown on the path is evil, comes and takes it away. So it doesn't bear fruit. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such person has no root. Larry once made the comparison between a mushroom and an oak tree. We often like mushroom faith, don't we? Because it's quick and you see growth immediately. But what was the thing? You kick it and you end up with dust. You kick an oak tree, you end up with a cast on your foot. Such a person has no root but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word of the kingdom, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. Doesn't that remind you of many people that Jesus came and summoned and invited? And they said, sorry, let me go do this, let me go do that, let me go do this. And Jesus says, okay, that's your call. Let me go bury my father. Let me go take care of this. Let me go do this. But as for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Okay. So isn't that nice that Jesus did all the heavy lifting for me? He gave the interpretation right there. Now, I want us to think about something. What is the seed? It says that the seed that was sown was the word of the kingdom. Okay? How many of you think that the point of this parable is about how we... Well, let me put it this way. The question is often, which soil are you? Right? Isn't the question we come away with from this parable, which soil are you? But what if a different question is, how effective is the seed regardless of what happens? Think about this. So a bird comes, where is it at? Um, in the original parable, the bird comes and snatches away the seed. What can a bird do to destroy a seed? He eats it, and then after the bird eats the seed, then what happens? What's that? It's stratified. What does that mean, Mr. Landscape? Does it ever come back out? Yes, it does. Have you ever had an experience where the evil one tries to take something away from you, and it actually goes through a process, and God makes it turn out more beautiful on the other side? No, never, right? We can make some jokes about, <laughs> yeah, never mind, fecal matter and, yeah, we're, we're not going to go there, but the seed is ultimately not hindered in its work, is it? But what was affected? The experience of the person to whom the seed was sown. Now, here's a question. Was it 
ultimately and indefinitely affected, or was it temporarily, momentarily, and experientially affected? Are you with me, but not with me? I'm with me and not with me. The seed is still good. What changes is our experience of that seed. Right? Let's keep going. So the next one is the rocky ground. The one who hears the word immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root but endures only for a while. Trouble and persecution arises and that person immediately falls away. So now there's a problem with this verse. And you know what the problem is? A verse in John 10 that says, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. This parable bumps us up against some theological conundrums. Because often we see this parable, at least for me, we see this parable as talking about that only the people that qualify as the last soil are the ones that really get to enjoy the fruits of the kingdom. But I would propose that maybe that's not the case. Oh man, so much to say, so little time. So let's do this quickly, if we can. Let's back out, let's zoom out of this parable, away from the parable itself within Matthew 13, and let's look at this parable in light of the whole arc of Scripture and ask this question. Who is a seed that is a word that was sown into the world. I gave my answer away because I said who? The answer is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and was sown into the world and tabernacled among us. Did that seed ultimately fulfill his purposes? in bringing you to the table of the wedding banquet of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you will one day experience? So this parable is about how we experience that. To what degree do we experience what Jesus has already done in this life? Let me play with that a little bit. Isaiah 55. You see where we're going? I'm having fun. I don't know if you guys are with me. Isaiah 55, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, remember John 1 tells us who this word is, that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Maybe the sower isn't Jesus, but the sower is the Father. Now, this one, still fun. There's a second part here. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. It's a picture of the kingdom becoming reality of the curse of Genesis 2 and 3, which, by the way, were descriptive 
not prescriptive. God says, Adam, because you have done this, this will be the consequence. Eve, because you have done this. Satan, because you have done this. This is what's going to happen to the world. Isaiah 55 describes the reversal of what was lost, broken, damaged in Genesis 2 and 3. It says, that will be undone and restored through the word that comes forth from my mouth into your life. To what degree will you cooperate with that action is the question of the parable of the sower. Oh, man. So, I had a couple things I wanted to read to you, but can I just put my cards out on, all out on the table right now? Because here's what I don't like about this parable. If you read it from a certain perspective, it seems to throw us back on our own ability to bring forth the fruit. Does anybody else see that, or is that just me? If you read this parable a certain way, it's about we must be the good soil. We must do whatever it takes to be the good soil. And we must fight the enemy and bat away the birds. And we must not let the thorns grow up and not let the sun come out. And all these different things. It's like it puts everything on us to do all the hard work to make sure that the kingdom bears fruit. Let me ask you a question. A peach tree, how hard does it work once that pit is planted and the environment is right? Does it have to do work? to become, to grow peaches, or does it have to simply do what it's already designed to do and not hinder that process? Does that make sense? It has to be sown, but it's going to happen, and the only way it will not happen is if something gets in the way. Are you with me? So this parable, I think, is about the things that impede the fruitfulness of the kingdom coming forward. Not the things that we need to do in order to bring forth fruit. Can I say that again? Because I have a feeling I just stumbled onto something big, at least for myself. This parable is not about what we need to do to bring, bring forth fruit. It's about the things that can impede that fruit from coming to fruition. There's a difference there, isn't there? Here's another way to look at that scripturally. This is how Paul saw it. I am confident about this. The one, which by the way, Paul's talking about the three in one, who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Translation, you will ultimately bear fruit. How painful and how patient Will you be in that process? Are you with me? Let me read you this real fast and see if, and then we'll just kind of respond real quick. This really excited me. Again, Robert Capon. This parable does indeed call for a response from us. But that response is to be one that is appropriate not to the accomplishing of a work, but to the bearing of fruit. The goal it sets for us is not the amassing of deeds, good or bad, but simply the unimpeded, unimpeded experiencing of our own life as the Word abundantly bestows it upon us.
Go ahead and think about that for a minute. Good thing for phone cases. Some of your minds work quicker than others. So if you already get it, pray for the rest of them. Isn't that such a flip of what's going on? Jesus is saying, here are the things that get in the way of the kingdom bearing fruit in our lives. But it's not about you contriving, fabricating, working something forward. It's simply about you participating in the process. And you will bear fruit 160, 30 times as much. By the way, what makes the difference between the 160, 30? It's all good soil. It doesn't really say, does it? But it's a bearing of a fruit. I need to read you something real quick that helps make more sense of this. And then we're going to talk real quick about life and life. Hmm. Okay. I'm just going to read a couple snippets from this. The snatching of the word by the devil, the evil one, and the rejection of it by the shallow and the choking of it by the worldly, all take place within the working of the kingdom, not prior to it or outside of it. It is the word, capital W, alone, and not the interference with it that finally counts. The seed will do what the seed will do. True enough, and fittingly enough, the most obvious point in the whole parable is that the fullest enjoyment of the fruitfulness of the word is available only to those who interfere with it least. Did you catch that? The fullest enjoyment of the fruitfulness of the word is available only to those who interfere with it least. But even in making that point, Jesus still hammers away at the sovereignty and soul effectiveness of the word. Those on the good ground, he says, are those who simply hear it, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30, 60, and some 100 fold. It's not that they do anything, you see. Rather, it's that they don't do things that get in the Word's way. It's the Word and the Word alone that does the rest. Are we having fun yet? The whole purpose of the coming of the Word into the world is to produce people in whom the power of the kingdom will bear fruit. I lost the thing I really, really, really wanted to read. But we decide through our response, not whether the word will reach, receive, achieve his purposes, but whether or not we will enjoy this achievement or find ourselves in opposition to it. Ah, uh, now here it is. Okay. This was the one I was looking for the whole time. Sometimes you have to go through the thing to get to the thing that's really the thing. So thank you for your patience as we try to bear fruit. For a plant 
The failure to bear fruit is not a punishment visited on it by the seed. Okay? For a plant, the failure to bear fruit is not a punishment visited on it by the seed, but an unhappy declination on the plant's part from what the seed had in mind for it. It is a missing of its own fullness, its own maturity, even in some deep sense of its own life. So too with us. If we make deficient responses to the Word, we do not simply get ourselves in trouble. Okay, If you only hear one thing this morning, hear this. We do not simply get ourselves in trouble. We fail to become ourselves at all. from a book called Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment, The Parables of Jesus by this man. Okay. I don't know where to go from there, except to talk about life. Because we all have existence. But Scripture talks about two kinds of life, and this is what the seed is talking about. There's a Greek word that we translate life, the New Testament, it's the word bios, from which we get words like biology. And I'm sure there are more. Bios simply means existence. Life on its most ordinary plane. But there's another word for life, and I think this is the thing that Jesus has come to sow into our lives and through which we are called to participate. And it's this word zoe. And when Jesus talked about life abundantly, the life of the ages, eternal life. He's talking about this Zoe kind of life that's life overflowing, life to the full, life brimming over with goodness, joy, and delight found in the midst of bios life. What I believe Jesus is up to is he's sowing that seed of Zoe life into us and saying, will you participate in the flourishing of this? Now, here's an example. When we come across a situation that looks like things are not going to go our way, an impossible situation, we have two thoughts come to our mind, right? One is the road that leads us to despair. This is never going to work out. This is not going to go in my favor. It's impossible. There's no way that this can ever happen. The other is, if this doesn't work out, I'm sure God has something better. I just need to be patient because God is for me. Same situation, two different responses. One leads to experiencing Zoe, One is simply going along with our bios. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I have deposited Zoe life in you. Will you cooperate in it so that you can experience all that I have for you to experience? Now, real quick, and then we're going to pray for each other. Can I give you some symptoms of having Zoe life coursing through your veins? Would you like to to see some symptoms of that? First symptom of Zoe life, desiring good for all people. We're going to make these into a checklist, okay? We're going to do a little self-test here. Um, Desiring good for all people. Number two, enjoying everyday life. Three, living relaxed, ready to receive whatever the future brings. Four, feeling happy even while we wait for what we want. 
Five, treating all God's creatures like beloved family members. Six, giving and receiving with open hands because our stuff doesn't own us. Seven, doing what we say we'll do. Eight, taking care not to hurt those we are capable of hurting. And nine, behaving according to well-thought-out choices rather than according to the moment-by-moment fluctuations of brain chemistry. Does anybody know where this list came from? This is a translation, a paraphrase by a Facebook friend of mine of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that the kind of fruit that Jesus came so the Holy Spirit might cultivate in our lives? And so Jesus says, here, you want to know how to, how to cultivate, how to bear this fruit? I'll tell you, it's really complicated. Abide in me because I can't not bear fruit. And we're like, Jesus, why do you have to make that so simple and why do we have to make it so complicated? So, we have about 10 minutes. I probably didn't change your perspective on the parable of the sower. You probably feel dumber now after hearing whatever just, just happened. I don't know. Like I said, you either say too much and you muddy the waters or you don't say enough and you waste people's time. I don't know where the sweet spot is. But this is what I do know. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to get together this morning and say, how is the Zoe life inside of us doing? And how can we pray that it can come to more full expression today? How does that sound? You all know that you have Zoe life coursing through you. Is there something that's getting in the way? Is there a care of the world? Is there a plan of the enemy? Is there a concern about finances? Is there a, the list could go on and on, right? You know what it is for you, most likely. The question is, can we tell when the Zoe life is being either, maybe not even choked out? Do you ever feel like, Something happens and it just throws a wet blanket over the work of the Spirit in your life. So we're going to come together and pray for each other and say, all right, Zoe life, what do you want to do so that the kingdom can come to fuller fruition in our life today, in our relationships, our families, our jobs, in our conversations? So I have an idea of how that could look. Um, before we do that, I want to give just one minute to see if anybody has anything to add to this, a clarification, a objection, a this is a good way we can respond together. Um, I'm kind of in a hurry because I really want you to pray. Betty Fry, what do you think? Did you just talk about a sperm and an ovum in church? I love it.
Absolutely. There's an even better interpretation of the parable of the sower. Um, Phil, you're going to say something? Did you say God pity the one dream man? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, really quick before this, Christine. Um, do you see what I'm trying to say about the parable of the sower? Because I have so much swimming in my head. But what is the seed up to in our lives? And here's this is the picture I have. Have you ever been walking along and in the concrete you see like sidewalk and there's a crack in the concrete and there's a weed breaking through it and you're like how on earth did that weed get through there and one of my friends once said life is determined to live but there are other forces that try to concrete over <laughs> our life don't they so this is a process of awareness of what's going on and how do we let that life burst forth instead of impeding it so Christy what are you going to say well said yeah Absolutely. Aren't parables fun in their frustration? So some of you are new here, and you might not know anybody, and you might not be familiar sitting and praying with a stranger. Well, there's a couple things you can do about that. Feel free to go at this point if you really feel that uncomfortable doing it, or you could introduce yourself and they're no longer a stranger. Or you could look around and find somebody that just looks really safe. You can tell by their face. Huh? So um, I'll point out to you a few of the really unsafe people here. So um, I'm not going to say Carl's name. Carl's safe. <laughs> um, but hey, yeah, that's right. So get with a couple people that you feel comfortable with or think you might feel comfortable with. Don't feel obligated to participate in this. You might just sit and listen. You might go grab some more donuts. But at this point, what we're going to do is we're going to engage. We're going to practice. Because here's the thing I realized about this parable. Really quick, okay? Last thought. I forgot I wanted to say this. The word understand happens twice in the parable. The word understand. The first one is about they hear the word and don't understand it is how the enemy comes and snatches it away. The last one's the bear fruit. They understand it. The Greek word for understand is this word synami. And it has nothing to do with cognitive understanding on its own. It literally has this nuance of it comes in and it comes out. Think about the word syn, synthesis, S-Y-N, synergy, with, Amy, to send out. It's this idea of it takes the thing and it sends it out. The parable is about those of us that get this thing and only let it resonate and bounce around here and don't do anything with it, something is lost. But as we give it expression, it bears fruit. That's the kind of understanding Jesus was going for. So that's what we're doing here, a deeper kind of understanding. So get with a couple people. Nina, do you want to pray or play? We can put music on from the back, or we can have you come back up. It's your choice. Don't feel put on the spot. <laughs> so Nina chooses to play. <laughs> um, so get with a couple people and just share what this stirs in you, stokes in you, and how would you like prayer from somebody? 
Is there something choking out the Zoe life of the Spirit in your life? Is there something distracting you, draining your energy? Is there something weighing on you? Is there something, I don't even know what the thing might be. But let's just listen to the Holy Spirit and each other and pray. Okay? So go ahead and get in groups now and we'll do that. If you don't know somebody, then make a friend. <laughs>